Now, as we get into our study for tonight, we're in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. I'm going to tell you straight off, we're not going to deal a lot with chapter 5, verses 12 through 21 tonight. We're going to kind of read the section, pull out one thing, maybe two from here. We're going to pick up where we left off in our study last week. And we're going to be answering some questions that have come out of last week's and this week's study. And then next week when we meet together, we will actually be finishing chapter 5 and launching into chapter 6. Because the very last verses of chapter 5 kind of lead into chapter 6. And we'll move, start moving along there. But as you probably caught on in my prayer time at the beginning, we're going to be dealing with some questions that have been in the back of people's minds niggling for years and we're going to hopefully, by the Spirit of God and the Word of God, answer some of those questions that some people were afraid to ask. So let's look at the passage in Romans 5, verses 12 through 21. Paul says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now we left off last week in the middle of studying the three different types of death described in the Bible. We looked at spiritual death and how this is the condition we're all born in because of Adam's sin being passed on to all of us. And we looked at Psalm 51 verse 5 where David says, in sin did my mother conceive me. We have sin in us from the moment we're conceived. It's passed on to us from Adam. And that's what Paul's been laying out here. Through one man, sin passed on to all men. And because of that, all die. Uh, and also Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 3, we looked at the fact that you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you wish to walk. And so we, spiritual death is what happens the moment we're conceived. We have that. We're born with it. If you remember back in Genesis 2, uh, sorry, Genesis chapter uh, 1, sorry, Chapter 2, no, it's Genesis chapter 2. God tells Adam, he says, don't eat of this one tree. And the day you eat of it, you will surely die. 
Yet in chapter 3, after they've eaten of it, he then comes and says, now that you've eaten of this tree, you, one day you're going to go back to the dust of the earth. In other words, you're going to die later on. Well, how could he die in the day that he ate of it, yet later on die? Well, that's because there's three different types of death described in the Bible. The first one is spiritual death. And if you remember, at that moment that they ate of the tree, they immediately, something had happened to them in their spirit to the point that they were no longer in this good graces with God. They were afraid of him. They hid. They realized they were naked. They covered themselves in shame. And at that moment, they spiritually were separated. The word death actually means a separation. And they were separated from God spiritually. And because of that, they passed it on to all of us. We're all born that way. Now, keep that in mind, because that's going to lead to a question that people have wanted to ask for years. And some have. The second death we've dealt with is physical death, a consequence of Adam's sin. Another consequence of Adam's sin is that that is awaiting all of us who are of the human race is physical death. Unless, of course, we're raptured. We can escape the physical death that is to come in the rapture if we're alive at that time. Hebrews 9.27, as you know, says it's appointed for man once to die and then after that face the judgment. We've all heard said there's only two things that are certain in this life, and that's what? Death and taxes. Exactly. But so there's spiritual death that happened to Adam and Eve the moment they sinned, and they passed that on to all of us. There's physical death that happens to all of us because of sin, and That was passed on to us as well from Adam and Eve. And that's why Paul in chapter 5 of Romans is laying out that all those people from Adam and Eve all the way until the time of Moses when the law came, they all died. Which is evidence that they had sinned because the soul that sins, it shall die. Even though they didn't break a command like Adam and Eve did. There wasn't any law during that time period. Oh, God was still revealing there was a law written on their hearts and the fact of the consciences and all. But then we left off last time when we were together with eternal death, which is also described in the Bible as the second death. But let me say something before we start diving into this one. This death is avoidable. The spiritual death, we're born with it. Physical death, unavoidable. But spiritual, the eternal death, the third death, is avoidable. You see, this death is for all of those who reject God's offer and free gift of righteousness and the life through faith in Jesus Christ and his life and through his life and his sacrifice on on our behalf. And go to Revelation chapter 20, and I want you to see that the Bible describes this death as the second death. And then I'll show you a little bit later some other promises for us that we can avoid and escape the second death. In Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. John says, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So we're all born spiritually dead, headed for one day a physical death. But between our birth and our physical death, we have an opportunity to be given righteousness, what the Bible also describes as what? Eternal life. 
You, it'd be eternal life. And if you're given eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ and God giving you righteousness, you never again will ever have to worry about another death. Oh, even though you may physically die still, you don't have to fear it because the Bible teaches that for believers, we passed from death to life. And we actually, let me just say something to you right now. A lot of you are looking forward to eternal life, aren't you? You already have it. You already have eternal life. It began the moment you trusted Christ. You passed from death to life at that time. Oh, you may experience a physical death between now and then, but you will not be separated from God. I touched on it last time we were together. How when a baby's born, it just starts breathing in a whole new way. It doesn't die in the process. It just starts breathing in a whole new way. And the Bible teaches that Jesus himself said in John 14 that he goes to prepare a place for us. And if he goes to prepare a place for us, he will come back and take us to be with him where he is. Whether that's either in our individual deaths physically or the rapture, we get to go be with Christ. So when you pass from this life to the next, and I'm going to show you some verses that show you how cool that is. When you pass from this life to the next, you don't have to fear the physical death because you may die physically, but the real you will experience a transition. That's why if you have noticed the saints that really walked with the Lord, they weren't afraid of death. Even Stephen himself, while he was being stoned, we don't read in Acts chapter 7, ooh, ouch, ee, ooh. What do we read? He saw heaven opened and Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father, welcoming him into the presence of God. As he passed from this life to the next, his body fell down to the earth, but he went unto the presence of the Lord. Now, all of us who receive by faith God's offer of righteousness and life through Jesus Christ before they physically die will be given eternal life as they will be made spiritually alive and guaranteed entrance into God's holy presence, even if we physically die. By the way, that's why the Bible describes a believer's physical death as sleep. It looks like sleep. It's, you ever notice somebody that's sleeping? They, pretty, they can look pretty dead, can't they? She's not here. My wife drools like you wouldn't believe when she sleeps. I mean, turn the pillow over in the middle of the night drooling. I mean, you swear. I mean, I've checked for breathing a few times because she looked. But she's just sleeping. She didn't die. In the same way in which Jesus, when he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, she did physically die. But what did he tell him? She's just asleep. This isn't permanent. So go with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter 4, look at verses 13 through 18. Paul says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, listen closely, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For with this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of a command and the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. 
Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. As he describes the rapture, he says, look, I don't want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep. They have died physically, but they're actually with the Lord right now. I'm going to show you that from the scriptures in a lot of ways. They're already with the Lord. And when Jesus comes in the clouds to gather his church and to rapture his church, they're going to come with him. Their bodies are going to come up out of the ground. And then we who are alive are going to be caught up and our bodies are going to be changed as we go be with the Lord. It's going to be an amazing time. But they're already with him. There's some denominations over the years that used to teach and some still do soul sleep. That when believers die, they go into a soul sleep until the resurrection, and then that's when they come alive. I can show you from Scripture that that's not the case. I can show you from many Scriptures that they are with the Lord right now, alive. Let me show you what I mean. Go to Luke 23. Luke 23, starting in verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged with Jesus railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under, you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. By the way, a lot of people thought there was like a good thief and a bad thief. If you read Matthew's account, they both were making fun of him at the beginning of the crucifixion. They both were mocking him. But during the time on the cross, one of them changes his mind. One of them, through the Spirit of God, has had his eyes open to who Jesus is, and he starts to defend Jesus, and he tells the other guy, are you stupid? You're, you're guilty of what you're doing. We're guilty of what we've done. This guy has done nothing wrong. And he turned to Jesus and said, remember me when you go into your kingdom. I believe in you. Jesus says, that's all I'm looking for. And today you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't say you're going to have to take a little nap until I come back and get everybody. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Go to Philippians chapter 1. Look at verses 19 through 26. Paul sitting in prison, and he writes this. He says, for I know that through your prayers, Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 19, he says, for I know that through your prayers and through the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I'll not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means more fruitful labor for me. And yet, what shall I choose? I can't tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. Then he goes and says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And the more I kind of pray through this, convinced of this, I know that I'll remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. As he sat in prison, not knowing if he's going to live or die, and he was praying through this, he says, guys, I know I'm going to be delivered and this is going to work out for my deliverance either way, whether I live or whether I die. I'm good. I'll get right to you in a second. Listen, this is he says this. He says, for me, if I stay on in the body, that's more reward later on when I do go be with the Lord. 
But if I die, I go get to be with Christ. That's better. Go ahead, your question. Paradise is a holding area. Yes, yeah, the, the, the question you're bringing up is, is that paradise is a holding area, and it wasn't until the time of Jesus' death that he went and released all these people. I'm about to blow that up from Scripture. There's a teaching, and unfortunately it's been a teaching for many years, that those Old Testament saints had to go to a place of confinement and holding until the time of Jesus' death. And then after Jesus' death, he went and set them all free and brought them. That's not what the Bible teaches, and I'll show you that from a couple of scriptures. But let me just say this to you as well. Um, in the mind of God, were the people in the Old Testament given righteousness because of Jesus' death that hadn't happened in time yet? Yes. Remember, Abraham was declared righteous. He was, it was counted to him as righteous, righteousness. Jesus hadn't died yet, but he was given righteousness. Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Blessed are you, Simon, son of John. You're no longer Simon. You're Peter now. You're the new creation. Jesus hadn't died yet. Because in the mind of God, it's all now. And so the righteousness of Christ wasn't waiting until that time God knew that it would happen, and it was all covered. And I'm going to show you scripturally, Old Testament saints weren't in a place of holding. They actually were in the presence of God. But before we get there, let me show you one more. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. Unfortunately, by the way, as well, there's been teaching over the years that Jesus had to go down, because the Apostles' Creed even says it. He descended into hell, and three days later, he rose from the dead. Jesus didn't go to the hell. When he died, he went straight into the presence of the Father. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He'd also cried out to Telestai, it's finished, paid in full. Well, if he still had to suffer in hell for three days, it wasn't paid in full. The payment still had three more days. No, when he died, the Father was satisfied, and he went right into the presence of God with his own blood on our behalf. And oh, by the way, there were people already there from the Old Testament who were waiting and excited about it, but they were already there. I'm going to show you that in just a little bit. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. By the way, for years, some of you probably have been looking for that passage where it says, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Do you know what I'm talking about? Absent from the body, present with the Lord, and you look in your Bible and you can't find it? That's because that's King James' translation, absent from the body, present with the Lord. It's worded slightly different. means the same thing, but it's worded slightly different in all the other translations. Here it's here in 2 Corinthians 5. Look at verses 1 through 8. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home, talking our bodies, is destroyed, we have a building from God, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we're always of good courage. We know that we're at, while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord, for, while we, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we're of good courage and we'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. That's absent from the body and present with the Lord. Do you see what the scripture says? We've been given this tent that we live in for a while and it's not real comfortable and we groan longing to be given our heavenly bodies. And one day at the rapture, that's going to occur for those who are already with him and those of us alive at the time. That's when we're going to get our eternal bodies. But until then, we wait. But absent from the body is present with who? 
with the Lord. Paul said, if I die, I get to go away with Christ. Let me say something to you. I don't want to shame anybody. But during all this COVID mess, Christians should have been the ones who are looking around at everybody and saying, we're good. We shouldn't have been fearful. Didn't Jesus himself say, who of you by worrying can add one single hour to his life? Isn't that what Jesus said? The Bible actually says that all the days written for Jim Johnson were already written in his book before one of them came to be. Either I could enjoy the journey or I could freak out in the process, but God's in control of it. And actually, I've been given eternal life, so even if I die, I'm not going to die. My body may go back to the dust of the earth, but I get to go be with the Lord. But I kind of want to stay here a little longer. I'm sorry. Go to John chapter 8. Look at verses 48 through 59. John chapter 8, verses 48. The Jews answered Jesus and they said, Are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered I don't, and said, I don't have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I don't seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Isn't that interesting? The Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died, and the prophets that died? You know, who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It's my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. And if I were to say I don't know him, I'd be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out from the temple. Don't miss what Jesus said. He said, Abraham, the one you say is dead, he rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day, and he saw it, and he was glad. And they said, okay, you're not even 50 years old. Abraham died hundreds of years ago. You've seen Abraham? Of course, then he says, before Abraham was even born, I've been God. When he took the name of God that Moses had been told back in Genesis chapter 12. When, I'm sorry, uh, Exodus chapter 20. Nope. Make sure I get it right. Ex Exodus chapter. It is chapter 20. He said, he says, how will I tell? Sorry, chapter 3. There it is. Exodus chapter 3. He, at the burning bush, God says, he says to God, what's your name? So I can tell him. And God said, my name is I am. When Jesus said before Abraham was born, I am. They knew what he was saying. They said it was God. But don't miss this. Abraham saw that Jesus left heaven and came to earth. The one that the prophets had spoken about, the one that Abraham was looking to, he saw that day. Let me ask you a question. You remember when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration and his old glory shone through? Who appeared with him on the mountain? Moses and Elijah. I, wait a minute. I, th I thought they were in holding. No, they weren't in holding. 
Actually, one of the gospel accounts, I think is Luke's account, actually says that they were talking with Jesus about all that must soon take place in Jerusalem. They knew what was going on. They were alert. And none of them were yawning because they weren't asleep in the sense of soul sleep, as has been taught. Moses and Elijah were alive and alert, knew what was going on, talking with Jesus like they knew him well, because they did. The Old Testament saints were granted presence of God the moment they died. Why? Because of the death of Jesus Christ, because in the mind of God, it was already paid for. Now, go to Mark chapter 12. Look at verses 24 through 27. Chapter 12 of Mark 24 through 27. Now, the Pharisees and the Sadducees have been arguing over whether or not there's a resurrection, and the Sadducees didn't believe there was one, so they came up with this hypothesis or this, uh, this situation that they thought would trip Jesus up, and they said, you know, the law of levirate marriage in the Old Testament says that if a man dies not producing any children, he's to marry the, you know, uh, the, the brother's supposed to marry this lady, and so on and so on. Well, this guy, uh, this, uh, seven brothers all died and married this same girl. In the resurrection, because they didn't believe there was one, whose wife will she be? And this is what Jesus says. Look what he says in Mark 12, verse 24. Jesus said to them, is this not the reason that you're wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush? which I just remembered was Exodus 3. How God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. Look at what Jesus said. When God revealed himself to Moses, he said, I am the God of your father Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's not a God of the dead. He's a God of the living. They're alive. They've passed from death to life. Now, we touched on this at the end of last week's study, but ran out of time. We must have God make us alive spiritually so that we can be spared the second death or the eternal death and have no fear of our physical death. That's what we're going to look at real quickly. This Bible says in order for us to pass from death to life, God has to do that and give it to us. Go to John chapter 5. And look at verses 21 through 24. John 5, 21 through 24. Listen to what Jesus says here. He says, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Now whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Now, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he has passed from death to life. Did you catch that? Whoever believes in Jesus has eternal life. You have it now. Your eternal life has already begun. We're going to talk about that in a lot more detail in the next few weeks as we get into chapter 6, 7, and 8 of Romans. 
We're going to start talking about how to live out this eternal life that we've been given in the power of the Spirit. We're going to be dealing with that. Go to John chapter 11, though. We're in chapter 5. Go over to chapter 11. Look at verses 25 through 27. John 11, 25 through 27. As you know, Lazarus has died, and Jesus lets him die, leaves him in the tomb for four days, because the Jews believe that your spirit hovered around your body for three days, but once you get to four days, it ain't coming back. And so Jesus lets him die to the point that he's been in the tomb four days, and they're saying, surely he stinks by now, as his body started to rot. But what did Jesus do? In raising Lazarus from the dead physically, he was showing his power over life and death. To also show them, not only do I have authority and power over physical life and death, I have authority over spiritual life and death. John chapter 11, verses 25 through 27, Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Remember, Jesus had said, whoever believes in me shall not taste death. Even though he may die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. Don't miss that. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me, though he die physically, he shall live because he's been made alive. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die, even though they may die physically. Do you understand that? We should not fear death. We've already passed from death to life through believing in Jesus, and we have already been given eternal life. And if you have eternal life, is there any death that you should be worried about? No. But that's a process that we're going to learn how to let that truth sink into our hearts so that it'll affect our mortal bodies. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verses 1 through 9. says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he's raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. We'll deal with that more later on in our study of Romans. But we're already in some way seated with Christ in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so no one can boast. Listen to that. You were dead, but God made you alive by his mercy and his great love for us. Because of our faith, he's made us alive. By grace, you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's the work of God. It's a gift, as we saw in Romans 5. It's a free gift that is to be received. Oh, go with me to Revelation chapter 20. We've looked again a couple of times. Revelation 20. We're going to be in verses 4 through 6. We looked at verses 11 and following, but there's something that's said here in Revelation 20 verses 4 through 6 that a lot of Christians have missed. And it, it's a little confusing in how it's worded, and hopefully I can be uh, used to help you see what it's talking about. Revelation 20 verses 4 through 6. All right, at this point, Satan is going to be, has been sealed for a thousand years, 
And the, the millennial kingdom is about to begin. All right. And then I saw thrones, Revelation 20, verse 4. I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. These are all the saints that get saved during the tribulation. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Now, the rest of the dead, the wicked dead, did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This resurrection that we saw from the Old Testament saints and the Old Testament saints, sorry, the tribulation saints and the Old Testament saints and the new believers, this resurrection is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection over such the second death has no power, but they'll be priests of God and of Christ and they'll reign with him for a thousand years. Did you catch that? At the end of the tribulation period, the Old Testament saints, the tribulation saints are going to be given their new bodies and they're going to be resurrected and enter into the millennial kingdom with us who are going to come back with Jesus when he sets up his millennial kingdom. That's the first resurrection. Those of us who are going to be a part of the first resurrection have no fear of the second death. What's the second death? The lake of fire. Remember, the lake of fire is the second death. And we read then in the next verses, chapter, 11, chapter 20, verses 11 and following, all the, those who are in Hades, the fiery place of torment, until the final judgment, at the end of the millennial kingdom, they're all brought out and they're judged for everything that they've done because they didn't receive God's forgiveness for their sins, so they're not going to have to pay for everything they've done. And on top of that, they double-checked the Lamb's Book of Life and they've added the worst sin to all of them. The Spirit of God had drawn them to salvation, offered them salvation, and they rejected it. And so now, because their name wasn't in the Lamb's Book of Life, they've added that one even to their list, and they're thrown into the lake of fire. Why is that called the second death? Well, because they're brought back into the presence of God to be separated from him again forever. But for those who are part of the first resurrection, we don't have to fear the second death. Don't have to worry about it. Go to Revelation chapter 2. One more. Revelation chapter 2, verse 11. And then we will deal with the tough question that has been asked or might be in some of back of y'all's minds. Go to Revelation 2, verse 11. In the letter to the church at Smyrna, it says, Here, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church at Smyrna or to the church is. Church is. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. What's the second death? The lake of fire. For those of us who conquer, how do we conquer? By faith. Those who overcome, we overcome by faith. We've been made right through Jesus Christ by faith in him. He sealed us with his spirit, guaranteed us our eternity. We've passed from death to life. Eternal life has already begun. Now the question is, are you living in the power of your eternal life, or are you still living in the flesh? We'll deal with that a whole lot more in the next few weeks. But I want to learn how to live in the power of the eternal life that I have biblically. We'll deal with that more when we get there. So here's the thing I want to spend the rest of our time dealing with. These truths from Scripture always bring a question to mind in many people, especially those who have had children die young or have had miscarriages. I mean, if we're sinners from conception, 
because of Adam's sin and death passed on to all of us, so that we're all born spiritually dead, what about children who never had the chance to put their faith in Jesus? Well, I'm going to be honest with you, and I hope you know me well. I don't want to tell you what you want to hear. I want to tell you what the scripture says. Oh, but don't get panicky. I got good news for you. What you want to hear is what the scripture says. But I'm going to show you a depth of an answer to this question that you probably have never really gone to because I think the scripture speaks about it more than just in one place, but in many. And when you put these many together, I want to encourage you with what the Bible has to say. Let's go to the first passage that we all know well whenever this question has come up. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 12. We'll start there, but there are much better answers than just this one. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 13 through 23. Uh, as you know, David has committed a sin of adultery with Bathsheba. She's gotten pregnant. He tried to cover it up because there was no Maury Povich show back then where they were doing DNA testing. And he figured if he'd get the husband to go home and sleep with his wife, no one will think it's his child. Everybody will think it's Uriah's. Of course, Uriah doesn't do it. He then thinks, I'll get him drunk. He'll stumble home, sleep with his wife, and no one will know that this baby's not his and, of course, Uriah doesn't do it. And so David has him put to death. It's only been about a year, and God sends the prophet Nathan to speak to him about what he's done. 2 Samuel chapter 12, we'll start in verse 13. David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. And the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. And the David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground, and the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, not nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he didn't listen to us. How then can we say to him, The child is dead? He may do himself some harm." But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, is the child dead? They said, he's dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. He then went to his own house. And when he asked, they set food before him and he ate. Then his servants said to him, what is this thing that you've done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. He said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me, that the child may live, but now he's dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. David says, I know I'll see that child again. But there's way more than this. As we have dealt with earlier in our study. Do you remember earlier in our study where Romans 1 and chapter 2 and 3 talked about how to the Jew first and also the Gentile? Remember that part of the study? Do you remember how we looked at the fact that that was pointing out that the Jews weren't favored in the sense that God loved them more than the Gentiles? Salvation's been available to all, but the Jews received more light 
and they'll be held in more accountability because we're all going to be judged in, a, in account or uh, tied to how much we've had revealed to us. Do you remember how we talked about all that? Well, in the same way, Jesus himself has told us that his salvation is a free what? It's earned. Is it earned? It's a gift. Exactly. So he chooses who he gives salvation to, correct? But the Bible says he gives it to those who have faith. But as you're about to see, the Bible also teaches that each, of the, each individual will be judged according to whether or not or how much God has revealed to them. We're going to talk tonight about the age of accountability. There is no set age of accountability, but the Bible does teach that there comes a point where everyone moves into that realm in which they're accountable now for their sins. For some, they never get there. Others, it could be at different ages. What is the only sin that the Bible says is not forgiven? The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, correct? Remember, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is when the Spirit of God opens your eyes to your need and you reject it. There are some who never get to that point and God in his grace gives them eternal life. But don't just believe me from saying that. Let me show you from scripture. All through scripture, we see God's attitude towards and love for children. Go with me to Matthew 19. We're going to look at a story in Matthew 19, but we're also going to look at it in Luke and in Mark. And you're going to see that each of the gospels brings out something new. To add to this, Matthew 19, look at verses 13 through 15. Matthew 19, starting in verse 13. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. So here, they're saying, hey, don't bother Jesus with the kids. He says, you still don't get it. I love kids. Don't hinder them, because to such is the kingdom of heaven. Luke brings out something a little bit more. Go to Luke 18. I want you to tell me, after I read this, what is, what is it that Luke adds to this story? Go to Luke 18, verses 15 through 17. Luke 18, starting in verse 17. Sorry, verse 15 through 17. Luke 18, verse 15. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked him. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. What did Luke add? Infants. And they were, it wasn't just children. The Greek word actually means like a baby that can't walk who's still in the arms. They were even bringing little babies that were still nursing to him. And Jesus said, bring them. Go to Mark. Go to Mark chapter 10. Mark adds something else. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. 
Mark chapter 10, verse 13, they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. What did, what did Mark add? He, he blessed them. He didn't just lay his hands on them. He blessed them. All through Scripture, we see God's attitude towards and love for children. And there's something God says to the nation of Israel about their children that they were sacrificing to the false gods. You remember how the nation of Israel started doing some horrible stuff and they're burning their children to the Baals and also to God Molech? Go with me to Jeremiah 19 and look at verses 1 through 5. Jesus, in bringing judgment on the nation of Israel through the prophet Jeremiah, says something very interesting about these children that were burned in the fire. Look at Jeremiah 19, verses 1 through 5. Thus says the Lord, Go buy a potter's earthenware flask and take some of the elders of the people and some of the elders of the priests and go out to the valley of the son of Hinnom at the entry of the potsherd gate and proclaim there the words that I tell you. You shall say, hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I am bringing such disaster upon this place that the ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. Because the people have forsaken me and have profaned this place by making offerings in it to other gods whom neither they nor their fathers nor the kings of Judah have known. And because they have filled this place with the blood of who? Innocence. And have built the high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal, which I did not command or decree, nor did it come into my mind. God called those children that they were sacrificing to these false gods innocence. But there does come a time when God opens our eyes to the truth of our sin and guilt. And everyone who's had their eyes opened in some measure is now accountable to God for their sin in accordance with that measure. Remember how Romans 1 said that he's already revealed his divine nature, eternal qualities for everything that's been made through creation so that all are without excuse. At the same time, Romans 2, he's put his law in our hearts and he conscience convicted us, convicts us and shows us that we're sinners. We have three children and they all came to faith early, but it was all different and at different ages. But I remember the first time uh, that our, our firstborn actually got saved and Nicole was, she's now 28, she was six. And we had already sent her to bed, and my wife and I were sitting on the couch about 10 o'clock at night and watching TV, and Nicole comes out from her bedroom, crying. And we were like, what's, what's the matter, Nicole? She goes, I don't want to go to hell. And I, I remember asking her, where did this come from? It's not like we tucked her into her bed every night and said, you might go to hell tonight. <laughs> we never did that. But the Spirit of God began to work on her because she had been brought to church and she'd been to Sunday school and she'd been taught the Word. And there came a point where all of a sudden she realized, I'm guilty. She's now accountable. My wife will tell you her story. She got saved at six years old as well, but her situation was she went to a friend's house one time, and when her mom came to pick her up after playing at her friend's house, Becky tried to walk out of the house with a little toy that was her friend's. You remember the old push-up toys where you push the bottom and the Donald Duck or whatever would do the trapeze artist kind of a thing? 
Well, Becky tried to take it, and Becky's mom noticed, and she said, honey, that's not yours. That's stealing. Go put it back. So as far as Becky's mom knew, Becky put it back, but she didn't. And as they're driving away, all of a sudden, Becky's mom looks in the rearview mirror of the car and sees Becky in the back seat playing with this toy that she had told her to go bring back. So Becky's mom turns around, drives her back to the house, tells her to go and ask for forgiveness and tell her friend what she had done. A few weeks later, she goes to vacation Bible school and they were doing a puppet show. And the puppet show was talking about the Ten Commandments. And if you break one of these commandments, you're guilty before God. And of course, what's one of the commandments? Thou shall not steal. And she said that she was pricked to the heart. I did that. She became convicted. Again, there comes a point where God opens our eyes. Some people get more light than others. Some people get more drawing than others. But there comes a point where we're accountable before God. I'm about to show it to you from Scripture in a way you probably have not seen. But let me just say this to you. There are those who never get there. And our God is a God of mercy. And salvation is a gift. And he won't hold anybody accountable for something they've never heard or seen. There's no such person that's never heard the gospel. See, that's people for years. I'm talking children that are never get to that point. No, there are people in the, to ever say that there are people in the world that never heard the gospel goes against the whole of scripture. Uh, and, and let me just chase this real quick. Colossians 1.23, Paul says this, this gospel which has been preached in all creation. Romans chapter 10, right after it says, how can they hear unless someone preaches to them? In verse 18, he says, have they not heard? Of course they did. His word has gone out into all the earth. I'm not saying we shouldn't still send missionaries because people are being born every day that need to hear. But don't think for a second that there are people that never heard. The Bible says everybody hears. Unfortunately, there have been preachers who took Matthew 24, I think it's verse 15, where Jesus says this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world and then the end will come. And they said, well, as soon as we get the gospel to the whole world, well, actually what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 24 was the tribulation period. And he lays it all out. And if you go back and read Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 and 7, at the end of the tribulation period, there's going to be an angel that hovers in midair preaching the eternal gospel to the whole world all at once. And then the end comes. He was talking about that angel. There's no such person that's never heard except these little ones. Go to John chapter 9. As you're turning to John chapter 9, we'll look at verses 39 through 41. I, a lot of you may not know it, I've got three brothers or sisters, I don't know yet, that I'm going to meet one day. I'm one of five kids that many people know. But a lot of people don't know that my mom and dad lost three in miscarriages between my sister, who's older than me, and myself. And she, unfortunately, this is back in the day when she had to keep it in a paper towel until dad got home from work to show her. My wife's parents actually carried one almost a full term, and they lost it to the point that the baby was so big they had to have a casket in actual service. I've got brothers or sisters, I don't know, that I'm going to meet one day because life begins at conception. And even though Adam's sin was passed on to them, as you're about to see, we're only guilty once our eyes have been opened. 
But once our eyes have been opened in whatever measure, through creation, through his spirit speaking to us, through our consciences, through the word, whatever, once our eyes have been opened to right and wrong, good and evil, isn't that what God told Adam and Eve? The day you eat of that tree, you'll know right and wrong, good and evil. That's not a good day. Go to John chapter 9, look at verses 39 through 41. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see. And those who see may become blind. Now some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and they said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Don't miss that. He said, I came into this world for judgment so that those who don't see can see and those who see may become blind. Now, some of the Pharisees near him heard that and they said, are we blind too? Are you calling us blind? He said, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. By the way, were not the Pharisees running around telling everybody what was right and what was wrong? Were they not purporting themselves to be teachers of the blind? We've got wisdom. We've got knowledge. You want to be right with God? They knew right and wrong, even though they didn't have it correct. They knew there was a right and a wrong. And now they're accountable for it. But if you're blind, there's no guilt. But Jesus came into the world to the open the eyes of the blind. See, salvation, grace... Mercy, justification are all what? They're gifts. And the scriptures show that each one of us will be judged in proportion to how much light we have received. But I'm going to ask you a question, and I know there are people listening right now online. What about you? You see, in John 9, Jesus opened the man who had been born blind's eyes. That's what this all came about from. Let me back you up to the story and show you something in the story that you need to see. The man had been born blind for 30-something years. The disciples had been taught by the Pharisees that if you were blind or sick or whatever, that showed that you had sin. Well, this guy was born blind. So they asked Jesus, did he sin in the womb for him to be born blind? Or did his parents sin so he'd be born blind? And Jesus said it's not tied to his sin or his parents' sin. This was done so that I'd receive glory. And then, as you know, he opens the man's eyes. And he not only opens his eyes, the man not only can see, he doesn't even look like the same guy anymore. And he goes to the synagogue and he starts talking about this guy. He doesn't know who Jesus is. He just thinks he's a prophet. And they kick him out of the synagogue. They bring the parents in and they said, is this really your son? And he said, they said, yeah, he's our son. And he was born blind. But they dared not say who Jesus was, so they're afraid they're going to get kicked out of the synagogue. Go to John chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. 
For him to worship him, he was acknowledging that he was what? God. As a good Jew knew, you don't worship anyone but God. But Jesus opened his eyes. Yeah, his eyes were open, but he still had to make a decision. At some point, all of us, I don't know what age it is. Don't try to put a number on it. At some point, all of us become accountable for what has been revealed to us. Thank God for his mercy. Thank God for his gift of grace. The Bible teaches that innocence, children that die at birth or miscarriages or whatever, they're given life because they're not accountable. But what about you? Have your eyes been opened? Do you know the truth that there's a right and a wrong and a God? And have you made the right decision? We're going to close tonight by going back to Romans chapter 5. I'm going to give you a sneak, sneak peek commercial for next week. Look at verse 17 of Romans 5. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned, ruled through that one man, much more than will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in what? In life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Is it not evident that Adam's sin passed on to all of us because of death? It should be evident then that Jesus' life has been passed on to us who have received it. That's where we're going next week. And we move into chapter 6, 7, and 8. We're going to start looking at what does the Bible say about actually allowing the life of Christ to reign? Oh, the death of Adam reigned in us long enough. Now let's start letting the life of Christ reign. Can't wait to show you how that happens, but until then, we'll wait. I love you. Thanks for coming.